Welcome home. This is Princeton Real Estate Podcast, and I'm Laura Huntsman, your host. And today we're going to discuss an issue that affects buyers and sellers, and that is the home inspection. Buyers need it and sellers dread it. And I'm extremely lucky to have as my guest today Nick Doyas from Vitali Inspection Services. Nick has been inspecting all sorts of structures from single-family homes to condos to commercial spaces to multifamily dwellings. He's been doing that for 16 years. And before he was inspecting homes, he was working at Johnson & Johnson in their facilities department. So he knows his way around buildings and is one of my favorite people, uh, both as an inspector and a person. He is an avid car enthusiast and a a Philly sports fan and uh, works hard. There's nobody that inspects more houses per week than Nick, as far as I know. And so today we're going to talk about the home inspection and the way it has changed through the years and what buyers can expect when they hire a home inspector and what sellers can do to make it a better process. So, Nick, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate being here. I'm really glad to have you. So, you've been doing this for 16 years, and I have been doing real estate for 21. And this process has really changed from when I started. When I started, there was one home inspector If there was an oil tank in the ground that had been decommissioned and filled with rock or sand, it could stay there. And that's not the case anymore. Things have really evolved. What what have you seen in terms of change in in the whole home inspection process from when you started 16 years ago? A lot of things have actually changed in the 16 years that I've been doing this. When I first started doing home inspections, we were actually handwriting reports. Oh, my. Uh, Yeah, the original company that I worked with, we were actually using tear sheets. So we were having forms that were five copies thick, and we were writing the report by hand, and we were tearing the tear sheets off at the end and then handing the entire report to the client, handing it to the agent, and then obviously going back to the office and faxing that report over to the attorneys. I remember Um, Yes. And then we slowly started progressing into where we had program software that we could input all of the information into the software. But back when that first started, we were unable to take photographs, which now you see is right. So what's happening is now it's all evolving. And then as kind of the technology started to change, we got to the point where actually when I first started doing the reports with a software package, we were literally going into people's homes and we looked like um, uh, um, an air, an air, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? An airline steward, if you will. And we had a suitcase and in that suitcase was a laser printer. And we would actually print the report on site and hand that to the client. I remember that that too. And that was because we were unable to email the report to create an attachment for it to send it via email. So now the good news is we've gone more green where we're not using the toner cartridges. We're not using all that paper and we're doing it all electronic. And we can obviously include photos, which is a lot more helpful when people are trying to find deficiencies or defects. Oh, those photos Um, make all the difference. They really do. So that has been very helpful. But as far as where your question goes with how everything has kind of changed, 
a lot of the technology has become much more affordable. So as a home inspector, we couldn't afford to make the capital expense of a, an underground, either ground penetrating radar, if that's what they're going to be using, or the detectors that are used to detect the underground oil tanks, the cameras that we're now using to do level two chimney cameras, the camera that can go into the sewer line to inspect the sewer line. So as a home inspector, not having enough business to generate the revenue to cover or offset the cost of that, that that big capital expense, we were just doing the basic home inspections is what we were doing. And back then, radon was really the new thing to test. And Correct. so everyone was testing radon, and then people started scanning for oil tanks. And that has all changed. So now we're doing even more inspections. Let's focus on what you do as the primary home inspector and what you don't do what 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 do you inspect so as the home inspector when we're doing obviously the home inspection i mean we're inspecting so many different components of the home it's really hard to kind of grasp it and tell you oh we you know if i tell you we do the exterior we do the roof we do the attics we do the garage we do structure we do the entire interior of the house we get into attics we get into crawl spaces if we can physically fit in them and safely get into those areas but when we're getting into like a crawl space we are looking at probably four or five hundred different things within that crawl space uh i believe the average home inspector is looking at approximately thirty thousand different things when are actually doing a basic home inspection, believe it or not. So when you start looking at all of the components, people don't realize. It's it's interesting to me when I'll do an inspection and you'll get a client who's really, really interested and they're paying attention to what we're doing. Not only is it a home inspection for us, it's also a tutorial for our client to show them how certain things work, where to find certain things. So when they get into their house, they know what they're looking for and they have an idea of what some of those particular things do. So as I'm going through a basement and I'm scanning and I'm letting them know what I'm looking for, the response that we'll get from those people who are well engaged will just be like, we can't believe how many different things you're actually looking at all at the same time. And we're processing all of that information because sometimes we need to use that later in the inspection. So if I'm down in the basement and I see a stain on a subfloor, I'm making a mental note of that. So when I go upstairs on the first floor and I'm in the room that's above that, I'm looking to see what it was that possibly caused that stain or what might potentially be leaking. And then we're going to run all of those fixtures. We're going to check and make sure the toilets are tight. We're going to make sure that there's not a crack, we'll say, in the laundry room overflow pan where the washing machine has leaked or maybe even the water supply lines to the washing machine are leaking and you can't see them back there because nobody looks back there. Um, so it's, it's evolved. But, I mean, essentially, when we're doing the home inspection, we're checking the entire structure. We're looking at all plumbing. We're looking at all electrical. We do check almost every appliance in the house if we know how to use them. Some of these new like built-in cappuccino makers, yes, we're not making cappuccino <laughs> in a house. Um, but we're not looking at those particular smaller ancillary appliances, but we are looking at all of the other major components of the house. Now, when it gets to something like an HVAC unit, you inspect you do inspect it but you don't you're not taking it apart so typically what will come back after your inspection will be if there are issues noted and sometimes even if there aren't issues noted that it should be serviced by a licensed HVAC contractor correct 
Correct. So what we're looking for is we're looking for indications that there may be a problem. One of the most common things that we will see with a with a with an HVAC system, specifically the furnace, is when we take the cover off with these new higher efficiency furnaces, we will see rust or we'll see water stains inside the unit indicating that something is draining back or leaking into the system that should not be. Right. Um, so the problem is, of course, if it's in the middle of the summer and we're not running the heat, we can't determine what that causes. So we're going to essentially make a note in the report saying that it should be further evaluated to determine where the leak is. The first, my, my first step is to tell them to ask the homeowner. The homeowner may turn around and say, oh, yes, we had a leak there last February. Such and such a company came out. Here's the receipt. They fixed it. And then that resolves that whole issue. Right. Um, if it's um, one of those things where the homeowner has no idea that there was anything going on, then we would recommend that it be serviced at that point just to make sure that everything is currently functioning properly. But it is very, very smart to get your furnace and your air conditioner serviced, each one of them once a year. So you're actually having a technician come out twice a year, once prior to the heating season to tune up the the furnace, and then once prior to the cooling season to tune up the air conditioner to make sure that that is working properly. And if you haven't done that on a regular basis, but are selling your house, you should probably do that prior to selling your house. It would be wonderful to actually get it all serviced prior so you can have all the receipts and saying, look, we knew we were getting ready to sell the house and we had it serviced and everything checked out fine. So you have all of those receipts. So when my report says, ask the homeowner when the last time was that the unit was serviced, you actually have all of that documentation. Yep. Now, what don't you inspect? So what we don't inspect depends on what the client is looking for. And what I mean by that is like typically what we don't inspect, and it's something we as a company don't get involved. We definitely don't touch hot tubs. We don't touch pools, uh, sheds, any outbuildings. If you have like a waterfall, we don't check water features, gazebos, um, you know, some of the ancillary stuff on an HVAC system, even like we won't check the humidifiers or the UV lamps. Those are definitely beyond the scope, as yeah. would be if you have a, especially if you're on well. Now, occasionally we'll actually see a conditioning system when they're actually on city water, but we don't evaluate the conditioning systems to make sure that those guys are pro- operating properly. Those are definitely beyond the scope of the home inspection. Right, right. And irrigation systems, lawn irrigation systems. Yes, those aren't looked at. Alarm systems, home audio systems, including like if you have a home theater in the basement, we're not turning any of that stuff off. So turning any of that stuff on. So we're not testing any of that. Okay. So typically, and this is what happens with my clients, they hire the primary home inspector and then there are these additional inspections that are done by uh, contractors who... Uh, specialize in inspecting those, like chimney and fireplace inspections, doing a level two on a on a fireplace. And uh, for people who are listening, if you don't know what a level two is, it's a fireplace colonoscopy, basically, where, uh, you know, before, you know, what Nick does, and Nick, you actually do do a bit of inspecting of the fireplace, you inspect the fire. I've seen you. I've seen you. You inspect the firebox. You do look up there, up the flue. You you do inspect the exterior of the chimney from the outside and take a look at it. But doing a level two is when you bring in a specialist who sticks that camera all the way up there and takes a look to see what's happening with all the, the joints that may have opened up or not. 
Hopefully not, but yes, correct. And we are actually, believe it or not, Vitali Home Inspection is going to get started on doing level twos uh, in the next couple of weeks. We're actually going to be offering that service as well. Great. So that's going to be something we'll be able to do in-house as well. Yeah. Great, because you used to do that. I remember you used to bring your camera and do that with the other company you were with prior to Vitali. Correct. That is correct. Yep. yep. So we'll be doing that as well. Just what we're trying to do is we're trying to make it as easy as possible for the sellers, for the home, for the buyers, and for the agents. So you guys aren't going back to the property six times. The homeowners don't have to leave the house six times. So we're trying to bring as much of that in-house that that we can, that we can do, that we feel that we're comfortable doing. Um, and sometimes if it's a slightly larger home and they're requesting all of the services that we provide, because we will do a sewer line and camera, we do oil tank sweeps, we're now getting into the level twos and obviously the primary home inspection. Sometimes we'll bring out two inspectors so that the agents aren't there for four, five, six hours trying to do a home inspection. Right, right. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Now, here's a question that arises typically for people who are purchasing new construction. Should buyers who are buying new construction, should they have it inspected? So my question, my answer for that would be yes. Uh, and they really should get it inspected twice. Um, the first time you should get it inspected is prior to closing. It's obviously always easier to get the builder to come back and make repairs before they have you sign on the sign the contract and you now own the home. So right. it's always good to have it done prior to closing. And then my recommendation, typically you would want to check all of your paperwork, but typically there's a one-year warranty on the home, and then there's a 10-year structural warranty on the home. We would recommend that you do it after one year. So once you've been living there, if you see any issues, we can get those documented, and you would want to do it before that 12-month period is up so you can go back to the builder and have him fix any issues that you may potentially be having. Uh, they'll even fix nail pops, things of that nature. So my recommendation would be to actually have it done twice, once prior to the closing to make sure that they haven't made a mistake uh, or they haven't missed something, and then once prior to the one-year warranty expiring. Right. And then... Uh, th that 10-year insurance that they have, that 10-year warranty, it covers everything for two years, is that is that correct? And it then would, the remaining eight, everything sort of drops that, off in terms of what they cover? So, right. I believe it's, again, you would have to check your contract and see if it's a one-year or if it's a two-year. Typically, it's a one-year, they'll cover everything. And then the, the remaining nine is they're only going to cover structure. So if you get a horizontal crack in the basement somewhere or something is going on, they'll cover that. Right. Um, so that's how they'll, you know, if you have a, a raft or something pulling down, when you go into the attic, if something is separating, those are all structural issues that I believe are covered for 10 years, but you would definitely want to check and make sure that that's what the contract specifies. Yes. Yep. Okay. Okay. So in this area, we have a lot of older homes. Some of them are really old. I know <laughs> because I live in one. And when you're going into an older home, is there anything that you tend to typically see in in homes of a of an age? I know the older they get, the more you tend to see, but uh, anything that that tends to come up fairly regularly with older homes. So there is a turning point when we're talking about older homes. Um, you know, we're talking about newer construction stuff, obviously, since about 1990 and forward. Then you're having the homes that are probably from about the 1950s up to about 1990. And then you're having the homes that are 1920s, 1910, uh, turn of, prior to the turn of the century. And then you're getting into a whole different concept and a whole different building structure. So each one of those periods definitely have some things that we do look for. Um, when you're looking pre-1920s, you're looking at 
possible galvanized piping. You're looking at asbestos. You're looking at lead paint, um, knob and tube wiring. Those are all those big things that we're looking for specifically on those older homes pre-1940. Right. Um, you know, 1940 to 1950 or so, you had some of that stuff repeating some of the lead-based paint and things of that nature. But what had happened was the construction prior to 1920 was very, very different than it was, uh, we'll say, 1950. 1920s uh, and earlier also had what they called balloon construction. So what that would mean is that I could actually go up into the attic and I could take a ball and drop it down the outside wall and it would literally drop all the way down to the basement. So wow. we're looking for, yeah, so we're, and the problem with that is it becomes a fire hazard because if you're, there's a fire, that fire is looking for oxygen. So it just runs right up the outside wall and it essentially engulfs the house from the outside and works its way in. So you see those on pre-1940 homes. So those are things that we're looking for. Um, in that era, the, the the 50s and the 60s, those houses were built pretty well. Um, they had platform construction, meaning that they put floors on top of every level. So you didn't have that balloon construction. Um, but some of those homes obviously still had some of the lead-based paint and some of the asbestos product. Right. Um, then when you started stepping into the 90s, the problem that you ran into was profit. Everybody started cutting corners. So you find contractors that are just not doing things correctly, um, especially when you have these large these large development companies. What they would do is they would come in during like a home boom. And what had happened was they're trying to put houses up faster than they had people. So they're literally picking up day laborers and they're saying, yeah, go ahead and do this. And they don't have the knowledge. So they're installing things incorrectly. So that can be a problem, which is why it's important to do those inspections. Like I said, pre um, new construction, pre uh, prior to purchasing. And then obviously after that one year, so you guys can kind of get that protected. So depending on the age of the home, also depending on where the home is located, if you're out in the middle of nowhere, then we're concerned about oil tanks. We're concerned about septic systems or old abandoned on-site septic systems that they right. may have no longer, you know, that they've abandoned. The question is, how did they abandon it? That's the concern. Right. And then it seems that every few years, something arises like EIFS stucco. And, and then that creates a whole new type of inspection that needs to happen and new rules and regulations when writing contracts for those properties. Can you talk a little bit about EFAS stucco? Yeah. So EFAS stucco is short for exterior finishing insulating system. So basically, when you go out to a home, you can almost tell just when you're pulling up to a house if it is EFAS or EFAS, depending on how people like to pronounce it, because there are no control joints, meaning that there's no there's no breaks. There's nothing between the stucco that's going to allow that stucco to contract and expand because the EFAS doesn't have to contract and expand. So as soon as you pull up to a house, if you don't see any what we refer to as control joints, you really want to check and make sure that it is not EFAS. Um, the biggest issue we were running into with the EFs was, and now what's happening is a lot of the relocation companies and insurance companies are not underwriting them. They're not either they're either not purchasing the home or they're not providing insurance for those homes Correct. just because of, because of the moisture issues that are behind them. So even if you do your due diligence and you actually have the stucco or the EFs tested and it turns out fine, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's the end of the the, the problems that you may occur as a buyer or even as a real estate agent who's actually trying to get that house to close, either right. on the buyer side or the seller side, because now you're still trying to deal with that East problem. Um, so the, the, and the crime of it is, is East is actually a very good product when it's installed correctly. Um, there's two different issues with East. One of them is the installation. The other one is where we live. 
And that is because we go through freeze-thaw cycles. So when that stuff is contracting and expanding, it creates problems. When you're in a more uh, stable climate where you're not having freezing, even stucco itself, even real hard coat stucco can be problematic up here because of the contraction and the expansion of what's happening with the concrete once the moisture gets into it. Because both of them will kind of let some moisture in. It's just a matter of allowing to either, number one, be able to dry and breathe, or it's the ability for that not to freeze and then have that water expand and start to blow everything apart on the stucco or the eaps. But those are issues. Right. Now, is Vitaly going to inspect, start inspecting stucco, or is that something someone else should do? We've already got two wonderful guys that actually do uh, EFs and stucco. They both they both do hard coat and EFs. They can do both of them. We have Dave in our office, and Carlo himself does. Uh, they and we actually have a third guy, sorry Corey, who does EFs and or stucco inspections. So we do them, and they are the full what we refer to as the. Um, the investigative type, we're actually drilling holes into the exterior and we're checking the substrate behind it to make sure that there's no moisture behind it or to make sure that the plywood behind it has not been damaged or compromised. That's great. You just taught yeah. me something new. I didn't know you all were doing that. I thought that would have to be outsourced to a special, special, a specialist who would be doing stucco. But that's, and, and, and typically that's it would have been, yeah, typically it would have been that, but we've actually got three of our guys who've gotten certified. They've got all of their certifications. We actually have Dave, who he's, he's our, our main stucco guy in Carlo does it as well, but Dave is the guy who will go out and we've actually had him do it where they're actually applying either East or stucco to a house and he's watching it go through each process. So when they get done, step one, he goes out and he inspects and makes sure it's done right. Step two, he goes back out. And he, so he's basically going back four or five times to a building, to a structure to make sure that it's being installed properly. Oh, that's great. That's yeah. fantastic. Now, sewer line inspections are new, um, newer. They were done sort of on a catch-as-catch-can basis years ago, but now they're really being done with more regularity, and and you all do that. You do sewer line camera inspections. What does? Can you just describe what that entails? <laughs> Very much like the chimney. It's basically a colonoscopy for the sewer line. Yep. So what a lot of people don't realize is, is that the homeowner is responsible for the main waistline from where it exits the house until it ties into the main out at the street. So you're responsible for that. So if there's a break there, if there's some kind of an issue, that is the that is the homeowner's responsibility to replace that. The water company does not replace those. So what ends up happening is, is when possible, we'll actually take it from inside the house and we will send a camera out and we will take a look at all of the joints and we will take a look to make sure that what's happening is, is the old cast iron has an issue where it will split over time, which can allow sometimes uh, roots from trees to get in and things of that nature, which is a problem. The right. other problem that you have now, most of your lines going out of the house are PVC. It's plastic. So they provide both of them create different issues. The cast iron can just fail over time, as can PVC uh, or ABS. That's the, the black plastic versus the white plastic. White plastic is uh, is PVC and the black plastic is ABS. The problem with that stuff is it's good and bad. It is flexible. So that means that if anything jars it, it doesn't necessarily crack like cast iron will. The problem with it is, is if it's not backfilled properly, it can create what they call bellies in the line. So when we send the camera out, you'll see the cameras going out, no problem, no problem. Then all of a sudden it goes and dips underwater. And then 10, 15 feet later, it comes right back up from under the water, which tells us that that's a low spot yep. that's holding water. Um, that's the more common problem that we see with some of the, the PVC or the ABS. The other problem that we had run into, like I said, when we were talking about a little bit earlier of what some of the common problems are, back in the 80s, the late 80s, when we had another big uh, home inspection boom, they started using a lot of that PVC 
and in a cost-saving manner, they went to a thinner, it goes by a thickness and it's called schedule. So it's 30 schedule, 40 schedule, and that basically determines how thick the plastic is. And they were using some slightly thinner plastic and that stuff was just collapsing under the weight of the, of the dirt that was on top of it. Um, so there was problems with those just crushing and collapsing and they realized that they had, to, they had to go with a thicker plastic. So they were now requiring them to use a minimum of schedule 40 on any waistline that was going out of the house. So, so there just are, because, yeah, just because you have PVC doesn't mean you're safe. No, it doesn't mean that you're clear. No, I've, yeah. I we actually I did a home inspection that was four years old, and we did a camera on it. There was a belly in it that wasn't. It, it had a big dip in it, and they had to get the builder back out there to dig it up and, and fix it. And it's not a cheap fix necessarily. It's not. I mean, well, again, hopefully, if it's a small section, it's not so bad. But right. I mean, they can run anywhere between six to eight thousand dollars, depending on how deep the pipe is, how far out, how, you know, how far under underground it is. Right. Right. So. Uh, in terms of sellers, sellers do dread the inspection process because they they feel like there's going to be an enormous laundry list and the buyer's going to ask for everything. Um, what can sellers do to help you as an inspector in 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 the process of inspecting their home? What can what can they do? So sellers can quite do quite a bit actually. Uh, one of the things they can do is they can do a pre-listing inspection, meaning bring somebody out to look at the house prior to anybody coming through the house before any contracts are brought forward. So they have an idea of what's going on with the home and what the condition of the home is. Right. Um, that would definitely make their life easier from a standpoint of pre of, of you know pre-listing the home and doing an inspection on it. From a standpoint of once they actually have a buyer and they have an inspector coming in for the prospective buyers, uh, the best thing that they can do is really kind of make sure that the inspector can get to everything that they need to get to. Um, we know that a lot of times as you go through with your clients, the house is in pristine condition and they're ready for show. And then as soon as they get the contract, they just kind of relax and they just right. kind of start putting things back to where normal life is. I get it. You know, you're living in the home and you're trying to make things as convenient for you. Um, the problem, unfortunately, is, is that you have a closet full of clothes and that's where the attic access is. Right. Do the home inspector a favor. Get those clothes out of the out of your out of your closet. <laughs> if that's where the attic access is. And that's really twofold. We don't really want to ruin your clothes, but we still need to access the attic. Um, a lot of times they will block electric panels because they don't like it. Something as simple and as silly as taking a picture down if the picture is over top of the electric panel. We can't find it. We don't know where it is. We don't know where right. you tucked it. Now, in some cases, as a home inspector, we can sometimes determine where the electric panel is going to be by where the meter is located. So once we find the meter, if there is no disconnect by the meter, then we know the electric panel is on the flip side of where that meter is. So if I see it on the right side of the garage, I know if I go into the garage, I'm going to find the electric panel in the garage. Um, if it's on the right side of the house and there's a basement and there's no main disconnect there, we know it's going to probably be down in the basement. Basement. But when you start getting into townhouses, townhouses and condos, or even a house that's been renovated, and they relocate some things, by and we don't do a code inspection as a home inspector, but by code, one of the codes that they require is that that main disconnect be within five feet of where the meter is located. So anytime I pull up, yeah. So anytime I pull up to a house and I see that main disconnect outside the house next to the electric panel, all right. bets are off as to where that'll. I'm sorry, like by the electric meter. All bets are off as to where that electric panel can be. And sometimes you go into a condo and they put a picture over the top of it. We have no idea where it is. <laughs> um, some of the older homes, believe it or not, the electric panel would be in a closet, in a bedroom closet somewhere. Right. 
they're not allowed to be there anymore. But if you've got all of your clothes stacked up in there, we can't find it. We don't know where it is. Right. Um, so you want to make everything as accessible as possible and as easy as possible for the inspector to get in there. One, to make it easy for the inspector. Two, so they're not touching your private, your personal belongings. I mean, that's an important thing. We're not trying to break anything when we're going through a house, but sometimes we have to get to stuff. Right. And and in it, you know, when you're readying a house for sale, it's very common to put a number of things in the basement or in the garage, mm -hmm. and they always get put along the perimeter. And that keeps you from being able to see a lot of things that you need to see. Or Correct. they block an, an access to a crawl space in the basement, and you can't get in to take a look in that crawl space. Yes. So we would love access to all of those mechanical areas that we need to get to. Even sometimes down in the basement, they will hide where the main clean out is or where the water meter is located. And we can't find those. Those are things that we're looking for. Right. So these are all things like you said. So if you're, if you're getting ready to move and you've been packing boxes and you're moving them into the garage, we do understand that the garage is going to be your, your place where you're going to store everything. Do us a favor, keep it two feet off the wall and then just pack everything in from there so we can walk around the perimeter and we can check for termites, we can check for any other water infiltration or anything else that we're looking for within those particular rooms. Right. Because otherwise, we've had situations where a request has then ha a request has to be made between attorneys that those things be moved away and you have to come back and take another look. And so if it's just done from the outset, it saves everybody a lot of time and hassle. Absolutely. I agree. What is, it, it's always, I've always wondered when you walk into a house, because sometimes, you know, when you're doing inspections for my clients, you'll walk into a house and I'll look at your face. I'll try to get a read <laughs> from your face as to what your visceral reaction is. If you, if you have an immediate visceral reaction to each house you inspect, do you? My question is yes or no. The, the answer is yes. I mean, everybody yeah. has a, now again, I mean, we, we can be way wrong. Uh, with regards to when, you know, sometimes you'll see a house from the outside and it looks beautiful. You look it up online before you get there and all of a sudden you get in. And the big thing is you'll find like it's a flip. And right. sometimes those can be kind of entertaining. Uh, but at the end, <laughs> How so? How so? <laughs> you know, it's just, again, you're seeing somebody who's getting into the business that they're, they're what they really, they're handy then, and they're, they just don't know the trades. So right. you go in and it looks really pretty and they've done all the finished work all nice. And then what ends up happening is when you start getting into the guts and the glory, you can just tell that they're just not doing things right. The plumbing is incorrect. The electrical is incorrect. They're not doing things the way that they should be doing them. So, you know, I mean, those are one of the things that, I mean, a flip for me sometimes when I walk around a house and some of them are gorgeous and some of them are done very, very well. Um, but some of them, they just don't realize what they're doing and they make a mistake somewhere and it, it unfortunately can create a problem. But I mean, yes, we do get visceral, you know, feelings. As soon as you walk up to a house, uh, you look at the outside of the house and you see the outside of the house. Is it well maintained? If the outside is a disaster, there's a really good chance that the inside is going to be the same way, unfortunately. <laughs> And and the same is true with flips as it is with do, uh, some, not all do-it-yourselfers, some are amazing, but there are a number of do-it-yourselfers who just haven't done, necessarily done things properly. Right. So a lot of times I'll go into a house and the home and, you know, I'll, I'll get to the house, I'll ring the doorbell, the homeowner will answer the door and he's going to say, you know, I, I did all the work myself in this house. I'm an engineer. I'm like, game on. It's time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, we're going to see which, game which on. end of, yeah, we're going to end up seeing which end of the spectrum you're on here. And some of them are meticulous to, to, to the nines and others are just a mess. Right. Um, so unfortunately we get both ends of the spectrum on that. 
Right. No, from a personal anecdote, the uh, the owner of the house we've lived in for decades thought he he too was an engineer, and he and he thought that that made him an electrician. And uh, we blew countless lamps before and had everything rewired because he had no idea what he was doing. Yeah, so, that happens. <laughs> yep, that, it does happen. Um, so. What of the items that you mentioned that you don't inspect, what do you feel very strongly that people should have other specialty inspectors inspect, whether from your company or somewhere else? So, I mean, obviously, a lot of the things that what can be inspected should be inspected, even though the home inspector doesn't have access to it. So like you were talking about a little bit earlier with regards to the level two, the sewer inspection. If the house was built prior to 19, I believe 88, they stopped burying oil tanks. And you're in an area where you potentially could have oil tanks. I would definitely look into getting an oil tank sweep done. Um, Mold, we're going to actually start getting into a little bit of mold as, as well here at Vitali as well. Uh, but mold is another important one. That is really one of the biggest ones. You were talking a little bit earlier about the EFs and as, as, as times change, radon back 10, 15 years ago, EFs being a big thing back in the, uh, the 90s. Mold has now become one of the big items where everybody is kind of really paranoid about mold. That, that's um, true. That is so true. And, and one of the problems with mold is it's very, very misunderstood because 90% of your molds are just allergens. So if you're not really allergic to it, you're not going to have a response to it. Right. There is a small percentage of it that is toxic, which means everybody's going to have a reaction to it. Um, so, you know, if you have sensitivities to mold, I would probably recommend doing a mold assessment on the house to make sure that the air quality is good in the house. The other problem that you're finding is with a lot of these newer homes, because everybody is trying to go green and we're trying to save the environment, we're actually making homes that are much more efficient. The drawback to an efficient house is it doesn't breathe. Right, so it's tighter. House, exactly. So when they make it tight and it doesn't breathe, that's a perfect breeding ground where mold can grow because there is no ventilation in that house. Um, so what you're seeing now is a lot of the newer homes are actually having what they call uh, air exchange in units installed. And basically what that's doing is, is as part of the heating and cooling process, it literally pulls the air in from outside and it's got a filtration system in it. So if there's any pollen in the air, it filters all of that out, but it introduces fresh air into the HVAC system, which is actually putting that through the house to try to get the house to breathe a little bit better to try to minimize the mold issues that we were having. I mean, we do live in an area where the water table is high. Mm -hmm. And there, in older homes, there are a number of basements that either take in moisture of some sort, maybe just a little, some a lot, some only when they, there are severe storms like Hurricane Sandy. But inevitably, if that moisture in the basement is not mitigated by a sump pump, dehumidifiers, I am a dehumidifier fanatic, um, then mold starts to grow. And you can often smell it when you walk in the door of a house. Yes, you can. Uh, that's one of the first, and of course, in COVID is, is creating a slightly different issue because I can't pull my mask down. So usually right. one of the first things I would do when I go into a basement, and I'll still do it now, I'll just pull my mask down a little bit so I can expose my nose and just take a nice deep breath in to see if I get that quote unquote basement smell. And um, you do do a sort of preliminary mold um, inspection as part of the general inspection. So you look and, and to see if you see anything visible, correct? Correct. So to be clear, technically, we're not required to look for mold. I could literally go past a wall that is completely growing with mold 
and I'm not really required to report on it. I absolutely will, but right. legally we're not required to look for mold. Uh, okay. But yes, absolutely. So one of the first things, like I said, whenever I go into, even into a house, when you first walk in, you'll get that first, oh, we know the homeowner was a smoker. So right. anybody that walks in, as you were talking about getting that visceral response and that, that feeling when you walk into a house, I have walked into homes and as soon as I walk in the door, I'm like, we've got mold here somewhere. I can smell it. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you'll go into a home, you don't smell it, but as soon as you go into the basement, you do smell it. Right. Um, and as soon as I walk down into the basement, I'll be like, there's mold here somewhere. I can smell it. Um, and what happens, we'll start, I mean, we'll look for it anyway, but now I'm really going to start looking for it. Yeah. And if I don't really visually see anything, I would still in my report, I would recommend that you have a company come out and do what we would refer to as an air quality test, uh, which is basically they're going to they're going to set up a little system. It's basically a pump that actually sucks air in. And what they do is they put a little filter on the end of it and they're drawing that air from the basement into this little vest, this little um basically like a little plastic container with a filter in it. And that grabs any particles that would be in it. And then we would take another air sample outside and the outside air sample becomes the baseline. So we're comparing the inside air quality to the outside air quality. And that is something because you may have it hidden somewhere where we just can't find it. And we're not allowed to do anything destructive, especially when you're rolling into a house that has a finished basement. Right, right. We can't, it could be behind the walls on the backside because maybe when they finish the basement, they didn't put a vapor barrier in. So they're not stopping the moisture from coming from the foundation wall up to the drywall in the back. And we can't see that. Now, is Vitaly going to start doing air quality tests? Yes. Yeah, so what we're going to be doing, we're not going to be doing what we call full mold evaluations. But what we'll be able to do is currently, whenever I see what I believe is mold, my report will say, and our report will say we were all putting it in the report in the same way that we observed something that appears to be mold or potential mold. You cannot say it's mold. One of the most frustrating things that I see on home inspection reports from other companies is we saw mold. Well, unless you test it, you can classify You don't know that it's mold. You don't right? know that it's mold, nor should you be saying it's mold, even though you do know it's mold, but you really shouldn't be classifying it unless you've actually had it sent to a lab, analyzed, and tested to see what it is. Um, so what what would happen is, is if we now, what we, we will be getting into is if we do physically see some something that we believe is mold, we will be able to swab that and we will be able to take some air samples, but we haven't quite gotten ready to roll that one out yet as okay. we've been focusing on the level two chimneys first. That was our first uh, first. Bit, bit of action to do. Right. Well, I'm looking forward to all of these coming out of your office because you're right. It's, it makes it easier on both buyers and sellers to be able to do it all in one fell swoop and and not have to, to displace sellers on a number of given days with different contractors. And, and being a one-stop shop is a wonderful thing to be. Yeah, you know, back in the old days, we used to actually farm all that stuff out. So what would end up happening is somebody would call and they say, we want these particular services done. And then our office, and I shouldn't say this was my previous company, they would subcontract out all of the other, uh, you know, if it was a mold or if it was a lead-based paint test or if it was something along those lines, we actually used to coordinate that stuff. But what ended up happening was it started to get very, very difficult to do that. And we started to slowly go away from that. Um, But the beauty of it is, is over at Vitaly, now we have like nine inspectors. So and we're all kind of trained in in pretty much all of the, the, the services that we offer. So if it is a house that we're doing five, six, seven services on, we can send out multiple inspectors and get it done in a reasonable amount of time so we're not there for eight, nine hours trying to do an inspection. Right, right. Yeah. Now, uh, another thing I've always wondered, what is your favorite thing to find when you open the door for an inspection? What makes you really happy when you open the door? <sighs> 
me personally, I would probably say a plate of chocolate chip cookies with some ice cold milk. <laughs> uh, but I mean, in all honesty, okay, for, Santa. Me, <laughs> for me, honestly, it's a vacant home, believe it or not. Yeah. Because the vacant home just allows me access to everything. There's nothing in the way. I can check every window. I can check every receptacle. I can check anything and everything. Closets aren't blocked by shoes. The vanities I can see underneath to see the pipes. Are there any corrosion or leaks that you cannot see when they usually have them jam-packed with stuff? Uh, And then what ends up happening is we end up having a report that just seems to me incomplete. Meaning, oh, we had this limitation, we had that limitation, we had the other limitation. And what's ending up happening is that a lot of times the client feels like, well, what did you inspect? You have right. a list of, of, of limitations that you couldn't check. And how are we supposed to check those now? And that always kind of becomes a point of contention. So for me, a vacant house with an unfinished basement is is the primo house for me to inspect because I can see everything. That's great. That's yeah. great. Um, what is the weirdest thing you have ever seen on an inspection? So if we're talking about just weird in general, there was yeah. actually a home that I was inspecting, believe it or not. And I was getting ready to go into the bathroom downstairs. I'm trying to open the door and I'm hitting something. I'm like, what <laughs> is back here? I go and I get the listing agent because I don't want to force the door open. She goes, oh, she goes, I think there's a turtle in there. It wasn't it? It was an actual <laughs> tortoise. It was a huge tortoise that was oh in there. Oh, my God. And it was up against the door, and he was taking his sweet old time moving out of the way so we could open the door to get into the uh, into that bathroom. But it was kind of interesting. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd see I, lots the, of stuff. the weirdest thing I've I think I've found when showing a home was uh, the the basement. To, it was a very large home and an old home, and it, and no one had lived in it for a number of years, and the basement had flooded because there had been a lot of rain. And when we started to walk down the stairs, there was a molted snakeskin on the stairs. Yeah. And as I looked into the water that was in the basement, I could see a snake swimming. And that was it. We were out. Listen, I, 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 as a home inspector, I've been in a lot of strange places. I will tell you this. If I see a snake, I'm out. I don't do snakes. Yep. Um, which is so funny because, you know, like I said, as my wife and I continue to discuss, to discuss getting a little bit older and then possibly retiring, my wife is like, oh, you know, maybe you will do home inspections where we move to. I go, yeah, that's not going to happen. We're going to a warm climate and they have snakes. They have snakes. I don't, I don't do snakes. <laughs> it's um, the Harrison Ford in you. I don't yeah, do snakes. Yeah, I don't do snakes. Uh, they, 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 reptiles, period, I'm not a big fan of. But yeah, reptile snakes are not my favorite one of my faves. Now, are there any gray areas where, uh, because I know there are things like um, broken seals in thermal pane windows. Um, Those tend to be a gray area because they're not really affecting how that window operates, but they do completely cloud up the view. So do they fall into the cosmetic line or the defect line? So, very, very interesting. The reason why it's a gray area is because it's a gray area. Um, And the truth be told, when we find broken thermal seals, we do put them in the summary to be discussed with regards to how the attorneys want to handle it and how the sellers and the buyers want to handle it. So, we feel that, obviously, from uh, from a window seal being broken... It literally the amount of insulating property that that it loses is minuscule. It's a very, very small amount of R value that it loses with a broken thermal seal. The problem that you run into is, look, if you've got one broken seal, two broken seals, it's not that big of a deal. However, when you start getting into the 10, 15 broken thermal seals, if they're included with the sliding patio doors, they start to get expensive. Yep. Um, they do. So that's where, you know, once that cost starts to roll up, it becomes a problem. 
And as much as we don't like to say it, you know, if you're doing a $2 million home somewhere versus a house that is going for $125,000, $5,000 in windows on, on, a, on a $2 million home is a small percentage. $5,000 on a $125,000 home is a much larger percentage of the sale price of somebody who's looking to buy that house. So $5,000 to that $125,000 buyer is a significant amount of money. Right. So right. we don't like to get into the, you can afford it, so we're not going to put it. So we stay consistent with putting the broken thermal seals into the category of we say that that should be discussed or you should come to some type of an agreement on that. Um, sliding patio doors, depending on the size, I mean, that glass can be a $700 piece of glass to replace the glass. Yep. So they can get pricey when they start getting – and you get into some of these big homes and they have what they call these custom windows. So they have those trapezoidal-shaped windows or yep. you have those two-story foyers where they have that ginormous piece of glass that's above the front door. Those can be a $1,500. $2,000 piece of glass. So it becomes a point of contention. So as a home inspector, we don't get into the weeds of that part. We let the attorneys try to deal with that and try to come to an agreement with between the buyers and the sellers where everybody's happy. Right, right. Any any other big issues on the horizon that you're just starting to see pop up? So on the horizon, again, one of the big things, you know, we talked a little bit about most of these, actually, the sewer line, believe it or not, out in Pennsylvania, I believe they're making it now a requirement that the sewer line has to be inspected during every home inspection prior to a change of, of, of ownership on that. Yep. So I'm hearing that may be coming to New Jersey as well. Um, so that may be something where it's going to be part of the home inspection. We're just going to have to come out and do it on every single house. And we briefly touched on the fact of mold, yep. uh, which is a big issue. And of course, now when we talked about, again, when we were talking about the, ev the evolution of a home inspection with the technology comes abilities to do different things like drones. So right. some people are using drones to inspect roofs. The problem is you need an FCC license to do that. Right. So it's, you know, it's, it's on top. So, so what's happening is, is on some homes, you know, you can get a house that's got a dormer off of the front or the back of the house. And typically it's more the back um, and you run out of backyard. So there's really not enough room. So you literally have no line of sight. That roof is 40 feet off the ground. You cannot reach it with a ladder that we're carrying and you just can't see that back roof. So yep. again, it becomes one of those limitations where we're telling you have a roofer come out and do this. So as drone prices start to come down, um, you know, you may see more and more home inspectors just having a drone in the back of their truck that they're just going to throw and send up there and, and go and see what's going on. But we do have to deal with the licensing issue behind that because commercially speaking, and if it's over a certain weight, you have to be licensed through the FCC to have to, to fly that drone over top of a house. Yeah. But those are some of the newer things that are coming out. Um, one of the things that had come out a little bit ago, which and I don't I don't think it's a problem, is back in the old days, there was a product that was called uh, polybutylene piping. And they were using that a lot in the modular homes. And it was a tube type of material where they were just running hot and cold water throughout the house with tubes. And they weren't using copper, soldering everything in. It made it a lot easier. It made it a lot more cost effective. Uh, the problem that they had with the polybutylene was it was separating at the connections. They were using these crimp connections. Connectors, and they were corroding and they were starting to leak and they were leaking inside of walls and, and ceilings. Oh, so there were some problems with that. So there's a new generation of that. It's called uh, PEX tubing. And you've probably seen those where they've yep. got the red and the blue pipes. Uh, yep. And that's actually proven to be pretty durable, but we're going to have to see what happens over the next 10 or 12 years to see what happens as we're going through some of these cycles and they're being exposed to things. Also, I don't know if you remember back in the, I guess it was the early 2000s, it was the Chinese drywall that had come yes. through and it was giving off toxic and it was actually destroying copper, whatever yes. the it was giving off. So unfortunately for us, our business is constantly evolving as different products come out 
And we don't know what the longevity is going to be of those things. What's it going to be 10 years from now? What's it going to be 20 years from now? And is it going to be something that's going to be a lawsuit later on that we're looking for saying, yes, that this didn't work? Right, right. So, yeah. So it's an ever-changing landscape. It is. And, you know, and as a home inspector, we're required to... Uh, we just like just like you guys, the realtors, you guys have to do continuing education. We have to do 40 hours every two years to to maintain our license as well. And we have to provide that to the state every two years. Uh, and that's really what the biggest things that we're covering. So what we're doing is we're getting together with the specialists and they're telling us what they're seeing and what they're finding as problems and what aren't the problems or what they're seeing that could potentially be problems down the road. That's that's great. That's yeah. great. And I know because I recommend you and think highly of your work, I, I know you're going to teach me about that because that's one thing I love about working with you is that I learn so much during one of your inspections, as do my clients. When you take them on a tour and show them how the systems work, it, it's, it's an amazing experience. You so. know, it's and, it's and it's very, very interesting because it's always funny. I'll always hear an agent, especially ones that, that do follow us around, will always turn around and say every time they come to a home inspection, they always learn something new. I do. And what's really interesting about that is, is it's, not, it's, it's not that, oh, you're learning, quote unquote, something new. It's the first time that we're bringing it up to you. We're seeing it. We see it every day. Right. As I told you, when we're doing a home inspection, we're going through and we're looking at probably 30,000 different things in a house. So the problem is, is when I go to a house, it's something that either wasn't there. And even though we're still looking for it, it comes up. And as I explain it, you're like, oh, I didn't know that. And yeah, I mean, it happens a lot. Yep. Yep. What's the biggest misconception about home inspections and home inspectors? So there's quite a few of those as well. Uh, but probably one of my biggest ones is when anybody refers to us as an, an expert. We're not experts. Right. We are generalists. So we know a little bit about every component. Some of them we know a little bit more in depth, and obviously the more experience we have, the more we know about them, but we are far from experts. We don't know the codes. I mean, those are the guys that are going to be the specialists, the ones that do the codes inspections. In other words, like a plumber or an electrician, they're going to know exactly what needs to go on. Nine times out of 10, if we see something, it's not right. It's just not right. We are not going to give methodology of repair because it's not our expertise. Um, but it is one of those things that can sometimes what we hate, what I personally don't like is as a home inspector is, is when agents refer to us as experts, um, because unfortunately, sometimes that can give the misconception to the client that we know everything about everything. And right. we don't. Uh, right. And I never, ever want to turn around and I will always tell a client, you know, listen, if I don't know I'll tell you I don't know, and I'm going to put something in my report saying that a specialist should look at this and make sure that it is correct and make sure that it is safe. Um, so that's probably one of my biggest, um, one of the biggest things that I feel that's a misconception. And then sometimes we get the little floating around of the people feel like home inspectors need to justify their fee by finding problems in homes. That's not true either. We are out there as a um, you know, for lack of a better term, a non-interested party. We're just out there telling you what we see. Right. Uh, you know, a lot of times we'll get people who turn around and say, oh, you know, they'll use the term deal breakers. Right. Uh, and it's we're just thorough. We're doing our job. We're trying to represent our client uh, and make sure that they're moving into a home that is safe and make sure that they understand things. Uh, so whenever I hear somebody turn around and say, you know, you guys killed deals, my first response to them is, can you please give me an example of something that we put in the report that was incorrect that caused your deal to fall apart? Uh, and it was not true. Right. Well, no, but you found all kinds of problems. Okay, but the problems are there. We have to report on them. That's our right, job. Right. Um, it is It is unfortunate. And like, trust me, I, as a home inspector, we, we at Vitaly would love to have every house be perfect 
and have basically some general information in there on how to maintain your home, where your main water shutoffs are, how to turn off the electricity to your house, how to, you know, where your gas shutoffs are, some fun things and some fluff stuff in your report and hand you a perfect report that is 20 pages long. Um, you know, talking about how reports have evolved and things have evolved. Back in the old days, you would get a 20 page report and you were done. Nowadays, you'll see reports that are 70, 80, 90, 100 pages long. Yep. Um, personally, I think that that's a little bit overkill. But at the end of the day, the problem is, is that's where the, the, the that's where the industry has gone. Mm. Um, but unfortunately, yeah, like I said, you know, we don't I don't feel the need and we at Vitaly don't feel the need to justify our fee. We come out. You know what? Listen, if you found a house that's in great shape, good for you. Congrats. Right. <laughs> um, right. If you if you found a house that has problems, then unfortunately, we, we we have an obligation to our client to let them know what those problems are. You know, so. Yep. And, and, and then you also do, you have the, the full report, but then you do condense it down in a summary Correct. to what are the major defects. Correct. And, and those tend to focus on safety issues, environmental issues, structural issues. Um, so it, it's, it, it's not like you're handing somebody a 70-page report and those are all major defects. They're not. Correct. No, they're not. You know, some of them, like I said, you know, most of the report for us is recommendations, suggestions, recommendations, upgrades, maintenance items, and information. So we're giving you the ages of the appliances. We're doing all of those things so the client has that. The problem, unfortunately, is, is sometimes clients have a misconception of what they really should be asking for. Right. Um, you know, going through and having done this for, for, for over 16 years, I've actually had homeowners call. And essentially, for lack of a better term, threatened me because my report is asking them to fix silly things. And uh, I was literally one day I was sitting in an office and I had the phone rang. The uh, lady in the office picked up the phone and I hear her talking to somebody. And she's like, oh, hang on, this, that, the other. So she puts him on hold for a second. She comes back to me. She goes, there's some guy on the phone. She goes, he's all mad at you because <laughs> you're calling out all kinds of crazy things in your report. And I said to her, I said, okay, I said, well, I said, get his name. I said, get his number. I said, is it the homeowner's? I said, I'm assuming I said, it's the, it's the homeowner. I said, it's not my client. And she goes, yeah, I'm not really sure. I said, find out. I said, get his phone number. I said, and I'll call him. I said, I want to pull the report up and take a look at it and see what's going on. So she does. And she gets his information and she comes back to me. She goes, here's his phone number. She goes, yes, it was the homeowner. Okay, no problem. I'll give him a call. And I called him back and he says to me, I goes, you know, you're killing me. He goes, you're nickel and diamond me. I go, I'm, I'm not sure I'm understanding what you're saying. He goes, well, you want me to fix the door. It doesn't, the master bedroom door, it doesn't latch. I go, does the master bedroom door latch? He goes, no. I go, okay. I said, I'm, I'm not asking you to fix it. I said, I'm just telling the homeowner that they may want to correct it. He goes, but he wants me to fix it. I go, well, then that's a problem with the buyer. I said, that's not on me. Right. I said, my information is correct. I said, but we broke the report out for you. I said, I can't guide you. I said, I'm not your client. I said, you're not my client. I said, but you need to talk to your attorney. I said, that's not on us. I said, we can't tell the client what to ask for or what not to ask for. Right. I said, it would be different. I said, if the door doesn't latch and it works perfectly, I said, I'll be more than happy to correct it in my report. I said, but if it is not latching properly, I said, and I'm identifying it in my report. I said, then that's fine. I said, but like you said, we break that report up into the system safety and structure areas. And that's what we call the summary in our report. And we put that in there to make it easier for, number one, the clients to find it. it, makes it easier for the attorneys to find it. It also makes it easier for the agents to find it. And you're not leaping through 40, 50, 60 pages of reports trying to find all of those, what we call system safety or structure issues. Right, right. And it makes it, and, and then followed by being able to, to show photographs, it makes it so much easier to have that next discussion 
between buyer's attorney, seller's attorney, and buyers and sellers to discuss what gets fixed, what gets credited to buyers to fix, and what gets taken care of by buyers after the sale. Correct. My biggest take to every client that I ever have a conversation with is there's nothing that can't be fixed. Everything can right. be fixed. Right. So it would be very, very different if home inspectors are going out there and telling people don't buy this house. That will never come out of anybody's mouth in our office that's going to say not to buy this house. My response to everybody is everything can be fixed. There's nothing in this house that cannot be fixed. Right. It can be. It's just a matter of coming to an agreement with the seller and figuring out what you want to do. Yep. Yeah. Nick, you have once again given amazing advice. And I love talking to you about home inspections because you know more than anyone I know. And to everyone who's listening out there, you can reach Nick Doyas at Vitaly Inspection Services. And uh, they're going to be rolling out some brand new things, which I'm really excited about. So there'll be a, an even more exciting one-stop shop. And so, Nick, thank you so much for coming on. I may bring you on again as as inspection issues change and morph once more. So, so thanks thanks for joining me. And thanks for having us, and I'll be more than happy to come back on again anytime if you guys have any specific questions or if you want to talk about what's new and exciting in the uh, home inspection world. You're fantastic. I think it's a it's a topic for both buyers and sellers because both ends have to deal with that at some point in the process. Absolutely. So. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. And you've been listening to Princeton Real Estate Podcast and have a great day. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Princeton Real Estate Podcast with Laura Huntsman. Our podcasts are produced by HG Media and can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 